If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition, our holiday edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, in addition to being uh, live on our radio show, we are also uh, live over on Facebook, so you can follow us at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Uh, this is a, a, you know, one of my favorite shows of the year because we always have uh, the wonderful Kay Sprinkle Grace here uh, for our end of year special. Uh, we've got a very important topic with so much change uh, facing our, our community uh, and our nation and the world. Um, and uh, I am uh, looking forward to getting a chance to uh, chat with, uh, with Kay um, about her thoughts on how all of us can prepare our organizations uh, for the future and can uh, prepare ourselves for the future. As the um, announcer mentioned, you can join us over in the chat room. Uh, you can ask questions there if you would like. You can email me today at tedhart at tedhart.com. Uh, you can also uh, call into the show and ask a question yourself of our guest at 347-324-3080. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Uh, and uh, here on page one news, uh, we have Jen uh, Bokoff, who is here. She's the Director of Knowledge Services at the Foundation Center. Uh, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, Jen Bokoff. Thanks, Ted. 
Jen, as I mentioned, we're also live over on Facebook, so I'm posting uh, the, uh, the link uh, today to the Foundation Center. Uh, can you bring us up to date on what's new at the Foundation Center and as all of us are pre uh, preparing and planning for uh, success, hopefully, in 2017, uh, how can the Foundation Center help us? Sure. So I've got uh, five exciting things to share. So the first that I'll start with is um, I'm thrilled to share that government funding will now be in Foundation Directory Online Professional. So as a reminder, that's our prospect research tool that people um, around the country and around the world use to figure out who's funding what and where to access resources they need to do their mission-driven work. So right now, um, the government funding is in beta stage, meaning it's not officially launched, but you can get excited about it for early next year. Um, it's, it's really great because at grants.gov, which a lot of people might be familiar with, they don't show a grantee history, so it's really hard to determine what you ought to apply for based on past data. So you'll be able to mm -hmm. do that on FDO. Um, and we're going to be starting with federal grants. They'll be any size um, and any amount, really. But keep in mind that many of the state and local grants are actually allocated from bigger block grants from federal. So I think a lot of that from money federal. you'll still be able to get an idea about um, um, from the initial set of data. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and, you know, I just like to remind people that with the data, it's, it, you can really tell a lot about who's funding what and where. And when we see what government is investing in, and especially, to be honest, if it changes in the new administration, it'll help people have more targeted applications and uh, really get the lay of the funding landscape. So we're super excited about that. And, when, and um, so that's going to go live, and, and Jen, how, how often will that be updated? Because I, I think, and it certainly will become sure. a, a topic when we're talking to Kay Sprinkle Grace in a few moments. Um, I, I think there, the, the smarter money is on a lot of changes, so having the Foundation Center keep us up to date uh, could become one of the more important services that are available. Absolutely. So we update our data once a week. Um, we regularly get in new data all the time from people who, foundations that are self-reporting, from open data. Um, and so we update our platforms just as quickly as we can, but there's new data every week. Mm. Well, so and that's important. Exciting. So uh, again, we've posted the, the link over on our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, uh, where you can go directly to the Foundation Center. Uh, but you have five updates for us, right? <laughs> I do. So let's move on to the second one. Um, so the next one is that Blueprint 2017 just launched, and this is the annual um, industry forecast that Lucy Bernholtz publishes. She's a self-proclaimed philanthropy wonk um, who is really fascinating and provocative. And people across the sector want to read this to really know what they ought to be thinking about for next year. And just as a teaser, there are two big trends that she, she really explores in this year's edition. So one is the blurring boundaries between politics and philanthropy, um, which we, of course, saw during this election cycle. And she explores how that might affect um, the way that we think about 
that line or lack thereof going forward. And then um, the, the second topic, which I find really fascinating, is the threat to free expression and association that's posed by the commercial ownership and, and governance um, of digital infrastructure. So how, how does our data, which civil society really relies on, how does the ownership of not just the data, but the data systems affect our ability to organize and express um, ourselves and, and do the work of our organizations. So really, really interesting. And this year we have three worksheets in there so that after you read it, you can actually take it back to your organization and figure out what to do with some of the topics that she raises. Um, and this mm -hmm. is something we're actually going to dig into a lot more next year at Foundation Center where we want to feature more thought leaders on our platforms. So for example, um, Starting in January, we're going to feature a blog series um, with leaders in the field talking about the intersection of technology and innovation funding. So that should be really interesting. Um, that, so I guess that, moving on. And, and, yep. and how are you going to dig more into that? How, how is that going to get um, sort of refreshed over time? The blog series specifically yeah. or other yeah. about leadership? Yeah. So the, what the we're blog series. Yeah, so what we're hoping to do is have more topics that we do a deep dive on from a number of perspectives and voices across the field, and then those will become featured themes on our core websites. So, for example, mm -hmm. on GrantCraft, um, grantcraft.org, we'll have probably five or six blog posts that start that topic, and then we'll invite any reader to submit a post with their perspective, and in doing so, keep perspectives and conversation on that topic fresh throughout the year and beyond. So we can sort of learn from each other as well. Exactly. Yep. And that's, that's something we really try to um, help catalyze here at Foundation Center, which is how foundations and nonprofits and others in the field can really sit and listen to each other. They don't always have to mm -hmm. uh, agree with each other, but just to hear the diverse perspectives, that's a way to spark conversation and smarter strategy. So we're trying to do a lot more of that in the coming year. So okay. a uh, the third thing I'm excited about is we just launched last week a new collection on Issue Lab. And for anyone who's listened to me on this show before, we've talked about some other exciting collections. Um, last month, I believe, we talked about the Risk and Philanthropy Connect collection. And so this month, we launched um, a new collection of resources on Issue Lab all about disconnected youth. So it's about lessons learned um, from the field, the challenges in meeting the needs of disconnected youth, and exploring some of the promise of new and proven approaches. Um, and uh -huh. so next year, you know, we'll be doing more deep dives on other issues. So one that I'm excited to share and that I'm working on right now is around ocean conservation. So again, you know, same idea. Um, what can we know that others know about ocean conservation? And so how can we uh -huh. combine all those resources into a set of learning? So um, we have right. this so, exciting collection so not, on disconnected not youth and more practices. Yeah, not only best practices, but also just learning from each other in terms of we tried this, this worked, these are resources that we found that all come, come together in one place. 
Precisely. Yep. And we we try to catalog those resources so that they're easy to find. I think um, I think one reason why these special collections are one of my favorite things that we do is there are just so many reports and writings produced by the field that it can be impossible to weed through everything. So we try to share it in a way where you can actually find something relevant that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you've got more for us. <laughs> yep, so exciting thing number four um, was we produced this summer an infographic all about transparency. This lives on our website, glasspockets.org. Um, and as a reminder, the word glass pockets goes back to McCarthyism back in the 1950s when foundations were getting, foundation leaders were getting interviewed about where their money was going. And Russell Leffingwell, who was on the board of the Carnegie Foundation, he had said, gosh, I wish foundations had glass pockets so that we could see where money is going and there wouldn't be, you know, these assumptions, we wouldn't have to explain ourselves. So we started the website Glass Pockets several years ago and this year we came out with this new infographic that actually had some data about transparency practices at foundations and it answers some big questions about why and how foundations are choosing transparency and also includes um, some field-based examples. And so we're going to use that next year to actually launch a campaign um, for openness by foundations. Um, and for the field on whole. And what's really interesting is it's really, it's hard to get foundations to change their practice. Um, and we don't believe there have been too many active campaigns to do so. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tricky challenge for next year, but we're very committed to the idea of getting more foundations to be genuinely open next year. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, and in, in that openness, able to perhaps learn how to work together or at least coordinate efforts perhaps uh, by being a little bit more transparent in the industry. So, so bring us home here, wrap, wrap up, what else, what's the final exciting thing? You got it. So bringing us home, we, this year in 2016, we added 25 new partner location sites. Um, and that's part of our funding information network, or FINS for short. And these are publicly accessible places uh, where anyone can access all foundation center resources for free. So a lot of our stuff is free anyway, um, but we do have our subscription products, um, Foundation Directory Online and Foundation Maps. And also at these locations, you have trained staff members who can help you navigate all the resources. So just to name a couple cities where new locations have popped up, we have a bunch in Miami, we have one in New Milford, Connecticut, um, one in Newton, North Carolina, we have one in Twisp, Washington, one in Fresno, California, and then we also have some new international locations like in Geneva, Switzerland. So these are all, again, just new access points for people in the sector to deepen their knowledge and do research about how to connect resources with good ideas, um, and we hope to build out more partner locations next year. Well, that's great. You've got uh, a lot of excitement uh, over at the Foundation Center. Uh, we always appreciate you coming uh, on the show uh, to make sure that all of our listeners uh, have the latest information. And again, we've posted the foundationcenter.org site uh, over on Facebook today connected to this show. Uh, and Jen Bokoff, thank you so much for being my guest here today. Thanks, Ted. Happy holidays.
happy holidays. And we are going to rush right over to not waste one minute so we can talk to Kay Sprinkle Grace. It is very true that Kay Sprinkle Grace is one of those people in our industry who really do not require an introduction. Uh, but just in case you're new to the show or new to fundraising or new to this planet, Kay Sprinkle Grace is a principal of Transforming Philanthropy in San Francisco. She serves clients locally, nationally, and globally. She is much beloved uh, in our industry because she is so darn smart and well-connected. She's written several books. Uh, and in uh, a stroke of genius, uh, the Henry A. Rosso Medal for Lifetime Achievement in Ethical Fundraising from the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University was bestowed on Kay Sprinkle Grace. Uh, and uh, she went on uh, just this year to be named in the first group of distinguished fellows by the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Uh, she makes her home in San Francisco, but she's rarely there because she travels all over the world working with uh, her wonderful clients who are smart enough to hire her. Uh, but in between, she uh, finds time for photography, music, and uh, her lovely family. And right now, more importantly, she is my guest here on the Case Sprinkle Grace show, uh, which is the final show on the Nonprofit Coach every year. Happy holidays, Case Sprinkle Grace. Happy holidays to you, Ted. It is a delight, as always, to be here and have a chance to be a bit celebratory uh, at the end of the year. I recently received a, an email uh, that I, was very heartening for me, and it was 99 great things that have happened in the world this year. And so as we're reeling from news of yesterday with Berlin and the assassination of the Russian ambassador to Turkey, and this said, you know what, we've nearly eliminated malaria. You know, women's rights in Rwanda are being restored. And you think, you know what, we are making a difference. And what I'd love to focus on, Ted, um, in this morning's, or actually your afternoon, my morning here in San Francisco, I'd love to focus on why it is so important for us as this wonderful philanthropic sector to be mindful that people are looking to us right now for inspiration, for guidance, as they try to unpack and unscramble a world which for many just seems increasingly difficult to understand, what can we offer? And so I'd like to focus on the gifts we can give this season rather than what's going to be, you know, given at Hanukkah or Christmas and instead say, what is it that we as a sector can give? Although the source of the comment is often disputed, um, most people attribute the following to Winston Churchill, that we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And I want to talk about that life today. Yeah. I believe well, Kate, that's I, the... I, I, want to, uh, I want to just jump in and, and, and say, I think this is, this is very timely, uh, as you pointed out, a uh, lot of change in the world, but there's always lots of change in the world. Yeah. Um, and one of, the, one of the, uh, the constants of the nonprofit sector uh, is that we are here to oftentimes be called upon to help those most in need, uh, those who are maybe newly in need, 
um, or those who are in need of solace as they're they're uh, they're dealing with all sorts of challenges um, in their life. So I, I think the topic is is uh, is is very much uh, uh, needed. Um, but what I also want to ask you, as as you're you're starting um, to share your wisdom with us today, is to just reflect on um, you, um, Kay Sprinkle Grace, um, and what you have and continue to bring. Uh, to the nonprofit sector, um, it's no small thing that uh, uh, that you received just this year uh, recognition as distinguished fellow uh, by the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Um, and I wonder if you would start off, um, being that that is a new designation, uh, reflecting on what that means to you, but what it also means to us as a sector to have distinguished fellows. I believe that it is part of the professionalization that we still struggle with, Ted. I think that there are still people who don't think we're a profession um, because professions have always been doctors and lawyers and those with the standard textbooks and the standard tests. We have moved towards that, but ours is a profession because it is so distinguished by the focus on the community rather than the focus on the organization. It is hard mm-hmm. for people to say, oh, well, that's really a profession. So I think what the Distinguished Fellow um, program is about is recognizing the fact that we are a profession and that we need to recognize people who have committed many years and lots of ideas to it. Um, as I reflect, on, on what keeps me going, um, and you're very familiar with this, is that I, eight, ten years ago, I kind of reached a point where I thought, where are we going? Everything seems mm-hmm. to be narrowing rather than widening. And that's when I realized the importance of having the big dream. And mm-hmm. I think that our sector to have the courage to dream. In fact, I'm very excited that the Women's Philanthropy Institute, which is part of the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at IU, they, their women's um, conference this year in March in um, Chicago is called Dream, Dare, Do. And if I could have come up with that title, I would be very <laughs> proud, but I didn't. <laughs> but you well know that that's how I feel. And I feel that if of all times, Ted, that we need to be dreaming, it is now because people are looking to us. I have been in meetings the last three weeks that were simply at a level that in a way I knew I'd been craving, and yet we do our business day by day by day. I work a lot mm-hmm. in public media, as you know, and one of right. my clients, um, I had sent them a copy of the talk that Christiana Amapur gave when she got the International Journalism Award this year. And she said, I, for me, it is more important to be truthful than neutral. Well, this set off the most amazing deep discussion about what is, what is truthful and what is neutral. In other words, do you serve the truth if you're always neutral, even if you know that some things might not be true? And we, as the voice of public media, um, I mean, it's been a phenomenal discussion, and I've had it with a couple of others as well. 
And I work with a, a women's organization called Futures Without Violence, which is very much responsible for the Violence Against Women Act and everything. And they called a meeting of their leadership council, which are men and women from all over the country who are looking at the various ways that the, the whole trend towards violence in our society can be curbed. It was one of the most positive discussions. And I think that it's all about a dream. And people were reminded to hold the big dream in both of these discussions. And in terms of gifts that we can give back into our communities, at this time when there is so much change going on, I believe it is that if we hold the dream and if we say, who can we partnership partner with to achieve this dream? You know what, Ted? We don't have to do this by ourselves. And we have a choice in times of change. We can either circle the wagons or we can lead the charge. And I prefer to lead the charge because I think the greatest gifts we can give are ethics, integrity, and power. That's right. Well, and and also recognizing the fact that uh, all of our listeners today – uh, and all the listeners of this podcast, of which uh, anytime you're on this show, the podcast is one of the, the hottest uh, podcasts of the, <laughs> of the year, uh, is uh, to remember that you have a mission. And in that mission, there are people and communities that rely on us. Uh, to not sort of curl up in the corner and be concerned about the future, but to properly plan. Um, and right. I think that the topic that you're putting forward uh, in <clears throat> terms of sort of checking yourself first uh, in terms of ethics, integrity, and the use of power, um, that uh, you know, all of us have uh, power of different type that we can use, and how you use that um, your own personal integrity, but also the integrity that you demand of your organization. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and being concerned about ethics, not sort of, you know, rolling your eyes or looking the other way on uh, something that might seem, you know, in a gray area. But I think now's the time to, to, uh, to do a double check of yourself and your own organization uh, in terms of what do you stand for. Uh, because we are moving into changing times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and as I've often pointed out, uh, certainly to people that, that I've spoken to recently, uh, my own staff uh, here at CAF America, um, is that um, often at these times, uh, there are changes that are for the good and there are changes that will create opportunities. And the real question is, are you prepared for both? Exactly. And I think that, one of the, and I want to get back to what you said about mission. You see, we confuse the mission. We think the mission is the mission of our organization. It's not what we're going to do. The mission, in the words of the late Hank Rosso, the mission is the human or societal need that you are trying to meet. And the solution to me, then the gift I offer to everybody who is, is enjoying this podcast, is this, that We need to get together around the tables in our community to have those conversations and to say, what is the human or societal need that we need to be solving in our community? San Francisco, because it has struggled with homelessness for so long, has done some extraordinary things in bringing very disparate groups around the table and just saying, how can we solve this problem together? 
And it has resulted in some very interesting, some kind of laser-focused solutions, some more philosophical Mm -hmm. solutions. But, Ted, all of that is swirls around what I think is the most important step that we're taking in the nonprofit sector right now, which is that we are looking more and more at design theory. And with IDEO.org, Cooper, other organizations that bridge the for-profit and the nonprofit sector, these are sectors. These are the organizations that are saying design theory puts the human at the center. What problem are you going to solve? And the, the quickest example I can give you and, and our listeners is that IDEO.org, which is a, a, a spinoff from the Hassel Plattner School of Design at Stanford, became IDEO, a for-profit organization, then they spun off IDEO.org, which is their nonprofit that works with nonprofits. And so they were called into a village in Africa because they were having a high number of premature babies that died. And they said, you need to design an incubator for a community where we don't always have electricity. Okay, that seems like a great problem. But instead, they went in, and before they tried to solve that problem, they figured out what the real problem was. And the real problem wasn't after the babies got to the hospital. It was getting the babies from their villages where they were often born very prematurely to the hospital. And what they needed was something that was portable, and they designed this sleeping bag for newborn premature babies that basically works by filling it with very hot water, and then it's insulated, and it has a a design that allows those infants to stay alive and warm until they get to the hospital and then they can be put into their incubators. But the question, Ted, that we need to be asking right now, Gene Case famously said in 2012, she of the Case Foundation that she and Steve founded, Mm -hmm. is that the problems have become too big. We can't do this alone anymore. So we have two opportunities here. First, to make sure we're solving the right problem. Mm -hmm. And the second is that who do we partner with? Because, Ted, there's nothing that you and I and our colleagues do that is for ourselves or for our organization. Our work mm-hmm. and our organizations exist only because there is a problem to be solved in the community. And that's, and that's so important that you, that you point that out because, uh, I, you know, I do think that particularly in, in an issue that you and I have discussed on, on this show several times is that, you know, we, we've discussed – um, as a as a as a community, the need for uh, uh, tenure and rotation um, on boards of directors and the you know, new blood and 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 you know not having having appointments for life on boards of directors, uh, but then when we look at the C-suite or the 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 leadership of organizations, uh, sometimes we do have organizations that do get caught in. Uh, you know, very long tenures, and it's not to say it's necessarily a bad thing, 
uh, but are, are you getting caught in your own circle, your own web, and not looking beyond your own borders? Uh, and exactly the point that you're making is, you know, are there others who are innovating? Are there others that we should partner mm-hmm. with? Are there others mm-hmm. where our expertise adds to their expertise? Totally. Um, and and that, that is an important concept, but for a lot of organizations that are um, they're focused on uh, their own budget, uh, their own sort of fiefdom, uh, growing their own pie, um, rather than understanding that they're not there for themselves, they're not even there for their staff, they're there because they have a mission and something they're supposed to accomplish, which very well may be partnering with others. Well, and in an ideal world, a lot of our organizations would go out of business, right? If we cured cancer. Well, and as you and I we, both know, you know, there, there's 1.5 million nonprofits in in this organ in this uh, country alone, yeah. uh, and any any professional that taught you and I talk about it, others talk about it. Far too many nonprofits. That's right. Far too many with overlap. Uh, far too many, you know, spending you know too much on overhead. But as soon as you then start mentioning this name or that name. Well, that one's good. That one's not good. That you know. So there's there's rarely consensus on which ones are the fluff. Right. And there was a very provocative article. Uh, I've been doing some teaching on the design theory, and there was a very provocative article about (laughs) just simply titled. This was in the the Stanford Social Innovation Review (SSIR). And the the title got right to the point, Ted. It said, are organizations getting in the way of social change? Well, and I think in some cases that that certainly is uh, is the case. I do. Uh, And I think, but I I also think, uh, Kate, and I just want to throw out that, you know, anytime that there's a theory of that sort, and and, and our industry certainly uh, has a lot of theories on a lot of different topics, or, you know, oddly enough, are still people that are debating long letter versus short letter. Um, So there's always always something to uh, to battle over. Um, You you know, when when it comes to that, I, I often, you know, ask, you know, how broadly are, are we thinking about the topic? Because you can find examples for almost anything. Well, it, it's true. And, and I think that most of the issues we face where organizations, quote, get in the way of social change is where the organization becomes calcified and it no mm-hmm. longer sees through the windows. It instead is looking in the mirror all the time. Yeah. And saying, all you know, oh, are we the fairest one of all? Oh, yeah, you're really cool. <laughs> you know, you're really you're doing great. a great job. <laughs> when, in fact, there right. may be somebody new in town that's doing a much better job. And, and I think right. that the, wor- the wor- one word that you and I have, neither of us have expressed, which we are finding in terms of people looking for places where they can make positive contributions for their money, their time right now to make sure that things stay on an even course, that those things in which communities have invested remain intact. And it is trust. Our sector is trusted. Now, of course, we have the anomalous disasters (laughs) like any other sector. And we, of course, always get a little bit more uh, pummeled when it happens because The other piece that we haven't mentioned is that our sector is entirely based in values. You know, philanthropy, in the words of the late Robert Payton, philanthropy is all based in values. People don't give to, ask for, join, or serve. 
any organization whose values they don't share. So our adherence to our values right now and our conveyance to the community that we can be trusted, we can be trusted for truth, for action, for ethics, for integrity, for positive power, all of these things will cause people to turn, I believe, increasingly towards us because we have always, of course, been viewed as the third sector um, mm-hmm. and with government and with corporations. And by the way, the Foundation Center, talk about gifts to this community. What they are doing right. is incredible. Yeah. And that's another gift that we give. We give resources. And I have spent time talking with people uh, who are just curious about where they can go, what they can do. And I think we have marvelous, I, you've heard me say before, that I always think of people in our sector as dream brokers. Well, right now mm-hmm. we have a big opportunity to be major dream brokers. If somebody says, oh, my gosh, you know, I had this dream and we were going to do this, and you can say, well, let's get the people in our community together. I heard, Ted, one of the most fabulous stories on design theory. I was speaking up in, uh, up in Medford, at, in Medford, Oregon, that they do this wonderful leadership conference up there. And the keynote speaker was a guy who is a design theorist and design implementer, comes from a very unusual background. He's not from the, the nonprofit sector, but he has found himself solving problems that involve the nonprofit sector. And it was a community in Montana that had a very high crime rate, very high crime rate. And they were able to kind of trace it back that a lot of the crime was happening coming out of a pretty derelict trailer park where the very poor lived in the community. And so he came in, okay, what are we going to do to get rid of crime? He looked at all the data and he said, well, wait a minute, why don't we talk to the people over there? Why don't we talk to the whole community? But let's bring in those people who have both been victimized and instigators a lot relative to the high crime rate. And what came clear was that if they got rid of that and put in low-cost housing with parks and with, you know, a little bit of beauty around, that it would probably solve the problem. They did it, and it did. And, you know, so, sometimes so having, we need having to sit down with everybody at the same table and say, right. okay, you think the problem is a high crime rate. What is it really? Well, it was, you right. know, it was a social equity issue. Sure. Well, and having a place to live and then having pride in your community can really Absolutely. go a long way. Uh, Kate, I, you, you had uh, brought up a very important topic, and I just want to draw people's attention. Uh, you had raised the issue of trust and legitimacy, mm-hmm. um, and there's a very important conference uh, that we're a big part of um, that's going to be taking place here in Washington, D.C., April 18th through the 20th, and that's the Global Philanthropy Forum. Uh, and the yeah. Global Philanthropy Forum topic this year is trust, trust and legitimacy really? solving problems okay. together. Um, wow. is, the, is the topic that they've chosen. And uh, as they, they go on to say, as under pressure states fail and, and state systems fray, even in democracy, 
a pervasive loss of trust tests our ability to solve large problems. Um, and that's really the, the, the entire topic of the Global Finance Reform. And I think it's, it's timely, um, it, it, given, the, given the changes that we see around the world, uh, is you know, how do we uh, ensure, and I think this goes back to where you and I started with the show, is um, trusting each other, but also the legitimacy of your voice. Uh, it's tied to the integrity that you bring to the table, the, the use of your power effectively, um, and the ethics that you uh, ensure and demand totally. uh, really can make the difference to whether or not you have a voice going forward. And I think, you know, rather than, you know, as you said, you know, being angry or crawling up in, in a ball in the corner uh, or, you know, whatever you, you might be feeling, um, we need the strong players and we need the equity players mm-hmm. We need those who have trust and legitimacy uh, to be strong, check themselves, and make sure that they and their organizations are strong because collectively we're going to need them. We are going to need our sector more than ever. And this is a very empowering moment for us. And we can either rise to it or, as you say, you know, we can just go hide in the corner or, as I said, circle the wagons. I rather would think that we can lead the charge and that we, because we are trusted and because we have been known for ethics, integrity, and we have become a very powerful sector. I mean, we're a huge economic uh, generator in in the U.S. and around the world. And as you know, I work globally, as you do. And the work that we have been doing recently, a team of five of us, uh, two from Czech Republic, one from Slovakia, one from Canada, and myself, we, are, we just finished um, a five-day leadership training with our second cohort of a MOT-funded program called Leaders of Tomorrow, which we created very much based on market research that we did in Central and Eastern Europe. We just finished, as I say, the five-day program and are now into the mentoring with the second cohort. We had 17 people in this cohort from eight countries, Ted. Czech Republic, Slovakia, Bulgaria, Romania, Serbia, Poland, Hungary, and Russia. And these are all people who are leaders in the context of the, the, um, the, ad, the adverse conditions that many of them face, because several of those countries are really cracking down on the nonprofit sector. And yet these and, are the uh, courageous... And the broader civil society. The, the broader and the broader civil society. Of, of having a voice in, in society. That's right. And I'm mentoring a guy from Poland and a woman from, uh, from Russia, and, you know, they are the brave people, and she is with SOS Children's Villages, and, you know, what they're doing for the so many, many abandoned children. And it just, you know, you could either get your heart wrenched out, or you could say, wow, this is making an incursion into the broken threads in the fabric of our society. And I mm-hmm. like to I like to feel that I'm helping to stitch this all back together. And we have one more year to go on the program, and the interest in it is rising. And we're going to be gathering in March, the faculty is, 
to kind of figure, you know, whither we goest, and we're looking at a number of options uh, because the MOT funding was just for three years to get it started. Well, so, and, and Kay, just to give people context, uh, you had raised, you know, the, the, the broad size of the sector posting over on, on Facebook. Uh, we mentioned, you know, roughly 1.5 million nonprofits in the, in the United States, but I think more importantly for us to understand that that represents uh, nearly a trillion dollars each year in the U.S. economy, composing exactly. 5.4% of our gross domestic product, and that the nonprofit sector itself has assets that exceed $3.2 trillion in the United States. So we're, we're talking about a sector that is not without strength and size. Exactly. And in terms of, again, we are cyclically worried about the loss of government funding. And you know what? We've lived through it before. And because I work so much in public media and have for 25 years, you know, I've seen, for instance, the CPB funding come and go, and I've seen it get whittled way down, and I've seen it get big again. Has it changed the quality and the determination of public media? No. What it did instead, between 2004 and 2007, we kicked in with a major, major effort in major giving, and we increased revenues by more than $40 million, you know, across the system just by focusing on major giving. And that continues. That's right. and, so, and it's about focus and, and planning. Kay, I'm just going to interrupt, interrupt you just one second. We're going to take a very quick break. So, uh, when we come back, I want you to complete that thought. Um, and, and also, I think, um, in the final roughly 15 minutes of the, of the show, um, is to you know, take us around the corner here on planning for 2017 on these important topics and perhaps the important role your board of directors um, should be playing in the kind of change that you're, you're talking about right now. And we'll be right back um, after this very brief break. Have you ever wished you could take back an email you sent to the wrong person? Or have that nagging feeling that your confidential message was forwarded without your consent? Do you sometimes email sensitive data even though you know most email is insecure? And we all have, because we're busy. And because in the world of email, there are no takebacks. Until now. Introducing Virtue, the simple way to send and receive secure email with confidence. Virtue is easy to install and use, and it works with your favorite email programs like Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo, MacMail, and more. When you hit the Send Secure button, your email is encrypted before it leaves your computer or smartphone. And even better, you can revoke a message at any time. You decide whether a message can be forwarded by recipients. You can track where your message is forwarded, and more. Download Virtue today and start sharing with confidence. Because everyone deserves digital privacy and security without hassle. And grab your calendars. As uh, we mentioned, today is our last show uh, for the holiday season. Uh, The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show will return live uh, here uh, uh, on January 31st. Uh, Very much uh, looking forward to uh, on uh, on that day um, having uh, the introduction of a new author, uh, to the Charity Channel uh, lineup, 
uh, and that is uh, A.J. Uh, Steinberg is going to be uh, here uh, with us um, and uh, talking about um, the process of planning successful fundraising events um, as part of their series, the Charity How-To uh, Series. So uh, make sure that you join us here on uh, January 31st, and we're going to head back over to the show. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart. And we are here live with Case Sprinkle Grace on the Case Sprinkle Grace show. I uh, hear uh, our special <laughs> holiday show. Uh, Kay always uh, wraps up the year for us and brings us uh, her wisdom uh, for planning. So, Kay, uh, before we uh, went on the on the break, you were making uh, the point of focus, and in the case that, that you were sharing, uh, focus on major gift fundraising. Uh, but I, I wanted to make sure in the roughly uh, 12 and a half minutes that we have left that, that we come full circle on this topic of, of power and utilizing all of your tools, networking, and connecting as a community and what is the role of the board of directors in in, uh, in that topic? So take it away. Yeah, and I think that our boards are worried. That's what I think. And I sit on a board. I'm always able to sit on one board with my very busy schedule. And they're worried. There was a lot of election paralysis in the, the giving time. A lot of people who usually give in October, November, were just kind of, whether they were giving money to candidates or causes, uh, we don't know. But there, as you, I think, probably know, it was not a drop so much in the major gifts because those people are pretty strategic, you know, about where they're giving all along. It was people who have disposable income who are kind of in the mid-band. And I was just reading that gifts were off in that area. Um, our boards have a big, big responsibility in the coming year, they have to become more nimble in their thinking. They have to become less risk averse. They have to understand in the words of Gandhi that they have to be the change. And right. that, you know, if there's that old saying, Ted, which you know, I'm sure if you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. And right. we, we have to change. And one of the things about the cross-sector uh, cooperation that we are seeing more and more of the, the, um, the workshop I gave at the International Fundraising uh, Conference this year was on a client of mine that worked across associations, government, corporations, and nonprofits to achieve change. And my co-presenter was Anna Koshal, who runs um, the, uh, a foundation in Serbia, and she told the same story as it fulfilled in Serbia with corporations, foundations, individuals, government coming together to basically um, do some major, major upgrading to the elementary schools. And so mm -hmm. what we are seeing is that we have to take the risk. And if there's any one message I could give to board members, it would be don't be afraid of risk. Don't be afraid right. to be nimble. 
don't delay decisions and say, oh, well, we'll just table that. That's a really good discussion we just had. Now, let's just think about it for a month. No, the world doesn't stop for a month anymore. And we need to empower our executive directors. Um, That wonderful article that McKinsey did years ago now called What Social Sector Leaders Need. You can Google it, get it online. It basically what they need is more allowance to take risks, be nimble, have reflective time so they make better decisions because our boards have obviously a big responsibility and quite frankly they're very worried about it right now. And again, this is where our ethics, integrity and power come into play and we have to make gifts to our board. We talk about board giving a lot. I'm talking now about the professionals who, what gifts are they giving the board? How are they assuring them that what they can do in that boardroom has an ongoing benefit for decades if they are willing to make the nimble, somewhat risky, perhaps, decision? So for boards, it's just, for me... um, you know, increasingly important that we get them understanding that we are a sector with power to be the change we want to see in the world. And well, but how do you how do you advise boards of directors who um, are risk adverse because they feel their primary job is to maintain the assets of the organization? Um, and oftentimes, when you're talking about partnering or taking on risk of one sort or another, you may be putting those assets at risk. How, how do you bridge that gap between what I feel my job is and what perhaps you're telling me I need to be doing for the future? Well, it would behoove all boards to obviously get in there and do much more creative fundraising. One of the most extraordinary organizations I ever worked with, which provides housing to the working poor and the homeless in San Francisco has acquired over history some 25 properties from the city. The city offered them. And at one point, the city was offering these SROs and other, you know, housing that they didn't know what to do with. They were abandoned, disused. And this organization said, you know, every time the city calls, we've got to turn around and raise the money. And sometimes then that house is gone right? That building. So they got a challenge grant and they raised money and they set up a fund. And that fund allowed them to seize opportunities, at least enough to put the down payment on places and then they could strategically raise money around it. I worked with another organization that was an amalgam of four organizations that worked in global environments, but all based as volunteers out of Stanford, and two of them were student organizations. And we created this kind of this, this foundation that was bigger than they were, which was a $2 million revolving fund where these organizations, when they had an opportunity, they could seize it. They could draw down mm-hmm. on that fund, and then right. their job was to replace it. Why aren't we creative like that? Why do we look at the budget and say, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Why don't we have that 
that funding? Well, it's because our board members hate to fundraise. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. why I came up with the AAA program, which says, frankly, if you're a really good ambassador or advocate for us, that's going to help our fundraising. And then the askers can go in and ask for the money. Um, that's right. That's right. So, so it's about I mean, taking risk, um, but also is, being creative in, in new opportunities, not just, I guess, spending money or taking. So you have to moderate that risk. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know what I don't think, Ted? I don't think we inspire our boards. I think we bring them the, the doom and gloom. And you know my dedication to the idea of a mission moment in every board meeting where somebody from the community comes and says, wow, you've made it possible for us to place 16 homeless families this last year. Thank you. Instead, our mm-hmm. board members walk out of these meetings and it's like, oh, my God. You know, we have to do this. We have to do that. We've got to make these calls for the fundraising. We don't bring the dream back to them. And right. the dream or that give we them, have. Or give, maybe even give them the safe space to be able to explore that dream. Um, you know, because, it, because we have very tight agendas and, and, and are so focused on the here and now and the budgets that need right. to be met, as opposed to giving them the time uh, to to consider the future in a very different way. Um, I, I, I think having that time in that space is often not either accepted by a board or, or provided to a board. Yep, exactly. I see our, our time is coming to a close. There is something I'd like to share with everybody. Yes. It's just my gift, and it's from a poem by Mary Oliver, the very distinguished American poet. And it's called Starlings in winter, and it's the end of the poem. Ah, world, what lessons you prepare for us. Even in the leafless winter, even in the ashy city, I am thinking now of grief and getting past it. I feel my boots trying to leave the ground. I feel my heart pumping hard. I want to think again of dangerous and noble things. I want to be light and frolicsome. I want to be improbable beautiful, and afraid of nothing, as though I had wings. And what I want to give to everyone today is wings. Because we've got to fly free from the fear, from the anger, from all the things that many people have been feeling, from the violence in this world. We have to know that we have the power to fly free. And we need to be nimble. We need to be dangerous. I love that idea of being dangerous. Well, that's, Ted, a, that's a beautiful you know poem. that I Kay, am. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kay, that's a beautiful poem. And for everyone to know who's following us over on Facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, we've posted that poem uh, for everyone so they can read the entire poem. Uh, Kay, unfortunately, uh, you always just fill every moment with uh, brilliance, and then we run out of time. Uh, we have uh, about two minutes left. I want to make sure that all of my listeners know how they can reach you. Thank you. Uh, my website is www.kgrace.com, and my books are available on Amazon and also through Emerson and Church. And my AAA book, which is the Ambassador Advocate and Asker Program, which so many hundreds of organizations are using now, 
is only available through my delightful little publisher, Claudia Morrow, and her company is called Whit Press. Think of Walt Whitman, and it's Whit Press, okay. and you can order it directly through her. And, and Kate, I, we have posted your website as well, so people uh, uh, can access that, so we've posted that for everyone as well. Brilliant. Ted, this is always such a pleasure for me. And you know what? It's really good for me because it it gets the wind beneath my wings, too. Well, you do that for all of us, Kay, and you have for many years. Thank you so much for being uh, my guest here today on the Kay Sprinkle Grace Show, our special holiday year-end uh, special on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, everyone, we will be back live on January 31st, and make sure you go to tedhart.com. Uh, where you can for free listen to the podcast of this and all of our shows. Uh, Kay, happy holidays, and thank you so much for being and my guest yet again here on all the right. Nonprofit Coach. My pleasure. Thank you so much. You got it. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.